here, and welcome back, everyone. You're listening to IASA's Additional Coverage Podcast, episode number 18. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and ringing in 2023 with me for today's additional coverage, I'm pleased to welcome Eric Tremunde. Great to meet you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be a part of the conversation. Oh, we are too. Eric is a published author and keynote speaker, and today we're going to talk about the future of work and what we can do to build resilient teams. But first, I would like to recognize the support that we receive from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. For example, members receive news from across the industry and insights from subject matter experts like Eric here, free of charge. That's a $150 value easily all by itself. Find out more at IASA.org. Well, Eric, Happy New Year. I'm glad to have you as my first guest this year. And I think this is a very relevant topic as corporate budgets begin to free up for some new hiring. Now, when you talk about resilience, particularly in the workplace, I suppose it implies that we need to rebound or respond to one or more challenges. Talk to me a little bit, if you will, about the stressors that have created that need and why workplace resilience is important. Uh, Tim, I think you said it very well, the ability to rebound or to be able to come together or to be able to almost elastically come back to normal. The problem, as you sort of alluded to, is that there are numerous pressures that we've seen, and especially in the last three years, that haven't existed in in years previous. I mean, look, the elephant in the room is, is of course, the pandemic or maybe a looming recession or downturn or something like that. But there are other economic factors that are really causing a pinch, a stress on the workforce that we haven't historically really ever seen. I mean, across the country right now, for example, unemployment rate is about three and a half percent. Now, to be clear, we haven't seen those unemployment numbers since 1971, like more than 50 years. And I think it's worth noting that at that time, the workforce itself was half the size that it is today. So it's it's unprecedented. And I know that word is cliche and often overused, but it truly is unprecedented. And oh no, I guess maybe the better question is like, what's causing this labor shortage? And I think there's a, there's a few factors. Number one, we're reproducing less than we ever have before. The average woman is having about 1.4, 1.5 children. If we look at our grandparents, you know, some of my grandparents had six or seven siblings on either side of the family. And so we're reproducing less than we ever had before. We're seeing that uh, people are, are retiring at twice the rate they were retiring just 10 years ago. We're seeing that because of the pandemic, uh, immigration had slowed. And so we're not getting as many new folks into the country. We're seeing that the gig economy and the new world of work and small business creation is exploding at rates that we've never seen before. And so, you know, you asked me, what's causing this need for resilience in the workforce uh, now more so than it has in the past? Well, a few factors. Number one, burnout is very real because there are fewer people on our teams, newer people on our teams. Uh, We're trying to juggle this new world of flexible and remote work. For some of it's possible. For some of us, it's not possible. And some of us, we're just trying to figure it out still. And the world around us is changing faster than it ever has before. I mean, technological capabilities that didn't exist five years ago are now commonplace and we're still trying to learn and develop and grow and communicate and rediscover every step along the way. So 
you know, when I talk about workplace resilience, when I talk about creating an incredible place to work and incredible teams, what I'm really looking to uncover is like, what are the leadership characteristics that when uncertainty, which is, by the way, inevitably going to strike, when it does, do our team members, do our people, do our colleagues, do they run for the exits or do they run towards each other to help out? And I think that when we are able to implement those great fundamental leadership skills that allow us to build those resilient teams, the result is a place of work that people want to be a part of, not necessarily when they feel like they have to be a part of. Interesting. You know, we experienced this thing last year that we now refer to affectionately or otherwise as the great resignation. Do you think that a lack of resiliency or maybe just the existence of the same old, same old status quo contributed to the great resignation? Or what do you think were the contributing factors? First thing I'll say, Tim, is that the great resignation was was an interesting sort of buzzword. You know, did we actually see a great resignation uh, like we've never seen in the past? Well, it's actually not really. You know, in the past two years or so, call it two and a half years, we saw about 33% of the American workforce turnover. And if you look back at the two and a half years before that, and the two and a half years before that, and the two and a half years before that, uh, you know, the numbers were floating right around that 30% mark. So, you know, did we see an elevated number of resignations? Sure. Uh, was it this great resignation that people were moving on mass? Not actually. However, I mean, I think the uniqueness of last year was that ability to be able to work for more places, more times of the day uh, than we've seen before. And the truth is, you know, there is no universal best place to work, Tim, you know, a great place to work for you might not be a great place to work for me. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person, that I'm a bad person, or that the leadership on either of our teams isn't good leadership, or that the company isn't doing great things. It could mean none of those things. It could just mean, Tim, you're an in-office guy. You want to come in there Monday to Friday from nine to five. And I never want to be in an office again. And for that reason alone, we saw a huge sort of turnover in the workplace, which would sort of suggest to me, though, that, you know, when we call it the great resignation, it's not actually that folks are just resigning and leaving the workforce. I would instead call it the great reconfiguration, where we're reconfiguring the workforce right in front of our eyes. And if I can, Tim, I would say that I'm actually, I'm really, really bullish on the future of work for that reason. Because if indeed the workforce is reconfiguring now so that individuals like you and I can do work that we love to do with people that we like to do it with, in a place of work that we like to and get our best work done that can ultimately fulfill a mission or a promise or a purpose that allows us to feel good about the work that we do. Well, this turnover that we're seeing right now, this reconfiguration of the workforce, I think is really optimistic in terms of creating great places to work in the months and years to come. So this great reconfiguration, migration, whatever you call it, could actually be causing a brain drain for companies who maybe thought they had solid programs in place for their staff members and they found out suddenly that maybe they don't. So what should companies be doing to attract and retain the top talent? How should they be considering changing the status quo? It's a good it's a good question. I'm going to start with what companies are going to do to not be able to keep 
these individuals and not be able to ride in ride into the metaphorical sunset into the future, whatever that might look like. And I think it's important to note that the companies that aren't going to succeed in the long term, but might succeed in the very short term, are the ones that are going to throw money at this problem. They're going to give new people signing bonuses, salary hikes. They're going to give them all this perks and benefits that are going to be so great and so well-received and so welcome. And hey, look, I don't blame anyone for taking a salary bump or, or a bonus or you know free lunch at work. I don't blame anyone for that. The problem is, in all the research that I've done, is that I found that perks and benefits and salary increases are really good at attracting talent, but they're not really good at keeping it. If you and I take a 10% salary bump and go to a new place and realize that we don't enjoy the people that we work with, that leadership is toxic, that the work that we're doing isn't all that fulfilling, great. The salary bump and the bonuses is, is, is fantastic. However, it's not going to keep us there. If you and I were both animal lovers to the very last day, the very last breath of our lives, and we both got offered a job at, let's say, the World Wildlife Foundation or PETA or some sort of animal activist group, you might think that that would be the dream of a lifetime to get this job. But if you and I are sitting next to each other and we don't get along and there's some bullying or some workplace toxicity, it doesn't matter how much we love that job. We're going to be moving on to the next thing. And so to start that question, I think the companies that aren't going to last are the ones that are simply throwing money at this and not focusing on the culture, the connection and the humanity inside of work. Now, the companies that are doing this well, especially from an attraction standpoint, is that they're really differentiating what that company does, not just inside of work hours, but outside as well. We're seeing that many, many organizations across the country are starting to stand for social issues. You'll remember, I think it was 2017, Nike uh, took the side of Colin Kaepernick when he took a knee on the sidelines of the NFL. You'll remember that Gillette did their positive masculinity uh, conversation, you know, about modern masculinity, the best a man can get. You'll look at Patagonia, who's completely changed their corporate model. They won't sell to certain companies that they don't align with or believe in. You'll look at REI, who's closed their stores on Black Friday because they don't believe in that like corporate greed sort of mentality. And the truth is, Tim, this, this didn't work for a lot of people. A lot of people said, no, you know what? I'm not with Colin Kaepernick. I stand very much against everything that he knelt for. And now for I don't believe in Nike and I don't want to uh, go that way either. But here's the thing that's really important is that that next quarter after Nike put out that commercial supporting Colin Kaepernick, they saw a $6 billion injection to their bottom line. And they might have served slightly fewer people, but they got a lot deeper with them. This also became a recruitment strategy to people who were interested in the things that Nike as a company valued as well. So the first thing that companies can do is to truly understand what it is they stand for and what it is they stand against. The second thing that I think is, is, is important that we're going to see a lot more of is that flexibility in the way that we sort of know it to be today, where you can come in for a couple of days, you're out for a couple of days, you can work some of the hours that you want to, you know, you can just as long as you get the work done. You know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that a lot of that can work. And at the same time, I think the companies that are going to do the best in the future are going to sort of what, what I would call like plant their flag in the ground. And they're going to say, you know, we are a three day of work week in the office company. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we fully expect everyone to be here. And on Thursday, Friday, you're able to work remote in whatever hours you like. And why I think this is important 
is because human connectivity in this remote world has has fallen off a cliff. Depression, anxiety, mental health issues have all continued to balloon through and post COVID. And I think that oftentimes, you know, the office is the watering hole, that the connective spot. We're spending more time alone than we ever have before. And look, if you want that transactional work, if you want to be working from home for the rest of your life, and if you want to build a remote company, hey, look, absolutely, that's fine. But I don't think we're going to see this sort of wishy-washy, we're a little bit of this, we're a little bit of that anymore. I think we're going to see some really firm guidelines set as to what the expectations are. Uh, third, we're going to realize that we're not everything to everyone. If you look at the best places to work list, you know, whether it be Fortune or otherwise, you'll see that the Hilton Hotel chain is, is the number one place to work in America in 2022. And then Cisco, uh, you know, the IT infrastructure company out of San Francisco was number two. And I think what, what that sort of yields is a lot of people are interested in working at these companies because they're the best place to work. I mean, great. And it's a well-deserved honor. The problem is, Tim, I would guess that somebody that works at Hilton isn't necessarily going to want to work at a server room in Cisco. And somebody working on UI, UX design at Cisco is not going to be wanting to make beds at a Hilton. And so I think companies are really starting to figure out, yeah, we've got a best culture, but for who? And we'll start to be able to create this environment that's the best fit for the people that we want working with us. Now, the last thing I'll say on that is that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are a very big, if I can sort of group them as one, it's a very big theme. And I think it will continue to be more important in the years to come. And I think that having all of those components, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are really important. However, I do think alignment in how we like to get our work done is really important too, because we can have a racially, ethnically, ethnically, age, sexually diverse uh, group of people. But if half those people want to be in the office and half those people never want to come back to the office again, <laughs> well, we're going to have some misalignment. And so I think uh, alignment in how we like to get our work done and diversity in who we get to do that work with are both really important factors as we, uh, as we look at the future of work. Wow, you just unpacked several boxes right there. That's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> well, there are a lot of factors when we consider a world that's difficult to predict. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what, you, you raise a really good question because, you know, I think collectively we got sick of the cocktail hour with the mixologist and the trivia and the Jeopardy, you know, as we were trying to build camaraderie on, on remote teams. I think that happened fairly quickly in the pandemic, not to mention, not, not to discount the importance of, of, of social time remotely and not to discount the importance of bringing people together. But, but at Harvard Business Review did a, did a fascinating study early on in the pandemic. And what they found is that regardless of whether people were able to choose where they could work or not, what they found is that motivation and productivity went up a significant amount if people were able to solve problems and contribute to uh, idea generation across the team or across the company. And so what I would say is that the more often we can ask our team to help us drive solutions for whether it's the team, the product or the company, the better off and the more included people will feel. 
you know, and if you want a bit of a framework for those who are listening to the podcast, I, I, I would, you know, twice a month from 8.30 to 8.45 in the morning on a Monday morning, uh, I would ask these three questions. What, what should we start doing? <laughs> what should we stop doing? And what should we continue doing? A very quick and simple framework that allows everyone on the team to contribute a new idea, uh, to maybe retract a best practice, a formerly best practice that is no longer a best practice, and third, to validate, when we ask what we should continue doing, to validate the practices that are going really well, that are serving us uh, at any given time. And the reason why I say this needs to happen every two weeks is because, number one, there are no bad ideas in sessions like this. But number two, if you get to meeting six or meeting seven or meeting eight, and, you know, you're two, three, four months down the line, you're going to find that your team at, 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 in these meetings, some of them are going to say, you know what, I don't actually have anything this week. I don't have any new ideas. Or I think, you know, we had a great week last week. Equally important to the idea generation that comes from this is the psychologically safe space that that 15 minutes represents. When we create that space for 15 minutes, the meaningful contribution of idea generation and potential experimentation, everyone on their team feels like they have an opportunity to contribute to something a little bit bigger than their role without having the expectation that you have to deliver on something that's maybe above pay grade or above roles and responsibilities. But creating that psychologically safe uh, space in that environment where people are free to experiment and try something new, I think is really important as we start to lead, develop, and engage remote teams. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It contributes to that sense of belonging that is so necessary to keep your workforce engaged in thinking. What comes to my mind now, though, is that as we've seen over the last year, whether it's the great reconfiguration or quitting for better pay, it was really kind of a seller's market where employees could say, hey, I don't like the way the culture is set up at this company, but that company over here really states their values and they drive those values and they live those values and the employees really seem to believe in those values. Do you think that with the continuing changes in the economy, you know, as inflation cools off and things start to improve, we'll return to a buyer's market where there's less of a risk of the silent resignation? Um, short answer, yes. Longer answer, yes, but not to the extent that I think we think it could. And the reason why I say this is because still right now, even though like the tech centers, tech uh, space and tech sector has been battered and bruised over the last sort of, let's call it 12 or 18 months, the employment unemployment rate has not changed uh, in the past, well, series of months now. I think, again, like I said, we're sitting at about three and a half percent. Not all of those three and a half uh, percent of people want to, are interested in, or able to be a part of the workforce. If you look at the numbers, I think there's 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 about five and a half million vacant jobs in the United States uh, right now, which is extraordinary. And that tells me, what was the number? I don't want to be quoted on this directly, but it was something staggering like one in 25 jobs or something like that is is still vacant. And so will we get to more of a buyer's market? Uh, yeah, I think that more people will get called back to the office. You know, I think that there were, you know, some of this freedom and flexibility and sort of turning a blind eye. I think a lot of this sort of like quiet quitting that we've been experiencing, which we can talk a little bit if you want to, about if you want to. I think a lot of that will go away. But I think that we've also entered a new normal, which will be a new normal again in three months and six months and nine months where you know, leadership had to put people first for sure. You know, I think the world that we're living in demands that. And I think it's for good reason. 
That said, you know, Disney just a couple of weeks ago just called everyone back into the office. A lot of these big companies are calling everyone back into the office because I think, and look, this isn't a scientifically backed thought, but I think that the leverage is moving away from the employee base and more back to the employer again. I do think that the line, though, in terms of like an abusive employee-employee relation, employee-employer relationship, you know, I think that will always lean a little bit more towards the employee just because of the world that we live in today. And again, I think that's for good reason. For sure. Well, you know, I'll actually project there because I think what you're saying is 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 very is very real. And I also would caution the listeners today to not get too caught up on a lot of the headlines, you know, whether it's an economist or a professor or a keynote speaker or whoever it might be to differentiate in this very busy, very noisy world. You have to come up with your own IP. You have to come up with your own terminology, which is why the Great Resignation came up, which is why Moonlighting came up, which is why Quiet Quitting came up. Look, is quiet quitting new? No, quiet quitting is for disengagement. And if anyone's seen Office Space that came out in 1999, you know that quiet quitting has been a lot, been around for a lot more than 20 years, right? Quiet quitting is just another way of saying somebody who's doing the bare minimum just to get by, just to collect the paycheck. And statistically, if you look at Gallup's engagement surveys, you know, historically, people have 40% of the workforce has always been quiet quitting. The reason why you get away with it now more than ever before is because if there's no one there to backfill that job while you're just dragging your heels, well, you know, I think I think leadership's going to turn a bit of a blind eye while, while they can, because again, doing a little bit of work is better than not getting any work done at all. So yeah, I, I think that the great resignation, again, a little bit overblown. I think quiet quitting has always been here. I think moonlighting, you know, I think all of these things have happened. We just love to get to grap- grapple onto these words and make them a little bit bigger than perhaps they need to be. And the last thing I'll say, Tim, too, maybe not the last thing, the last thing I'll say is that, um, you know, there might be a talent shortage across the country. That doesn't mean there has to be a talent shortage at your company, too. You know, uh, there's a lot of, like you said, sensationalized media out there, not even media, just the storytelling around how severe the talent shortage is. I mean, sure, great. You know, at the same time, you're probably not hiring 100 people at a time. You're probably hiring one. And if your existing employee base has the right tools, the right swag, the right stories and are able to share how much they love their job to the network around them and they've got the tools to do that. Gosh, I'm not too concerned about a talent shortage, especially on a company to company basis. Yeah, I think that goes right back to what we were talking about earlier. If a company is really living out their values and demonstrating it by the way they manage their workplace, their business, their whole way of doing things, I think that is what attracts and keeps staff members. Well, you know, Tim, we talk a lot about the future of work as if any of us have any ability to predict the future at all. I don't think what the weather is going to do tomorrow, you know, to ask somebody what the future of work is going to look like, eh, you know, I think you're going to get a lot of Trends, sure. I think the important thing that we need to focus on is not just like, what does the future of work look like? It's like, how do we build a team that's going to get us to whatever the future looks like? And if we can bring everyone along to be a part of that journey, I don't think we really have anything to worry about.
Sure. Yeah. Appreciate that, Tim. Uh, well, hopefully I'll see everyone in June in, in, in Minneapolis for sure. Uh, until then, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, just Eric Termoney, the only one, and EricTermoney.com, which I'm hoping is in the show notes because as we discussed before the call started here, Tim, the last name is a bit of a mouthful unless you see it or you're able to click on it. So I, I would love to hear anyone's thoughts, opinions, concerns, comments, and uh, hopefully shake some hands in, uh, in June as well. And I'll echo what Eric said. This is a teaser for the 2023 IASA Exchange Conference, which will be held in Minneapolis beginning on June 4th, I believe is the date. Also, if you have any comments about this show or show suggestions, you want to be on the show, you know someone who should be on the show, you can always reach out to me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Please join us for our next episode when I sit down with David Perry to talk about the 2023 Gulf Coast forecast. Until then, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Eric Tumrende. Thanks so much, Tim. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode when they come out. Who do you work with that also needs to know about the podcast? Please let them know about the show and they can follow along with us as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.